Welcome to The Root Podcast, a show about men and mental health, where we share stories of transformation and overcoming. I'm your host, Ruth Ann Kroll. All right, today on the show, we have Cinder Smith. Cinder Smith is a registered psychologist here in Calgary. She's been running a very successful private practice for the last six years, but has been working in this field in a diverse array of areas for the last 14 years. So she has seen it all. Cinder used to (laughs) practice ballet for a long period of time. Fun fact. And yeah, just after getting to know her the last few months, I really come to appreciate her no BS approach. She's a straight shooter. She just says it like it is. And yeah, I just want to thank you, Cinder, for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm super happy to be here. Happy to have you in my practice as I believe your profession as a dietitian is is so equally important addressing mental health from the inside out. So I am super happy to be here with you. Awesome. Okay. I think we'll just dive right in. And I think, you know, a natural place to go would be talking about mental health and the pandemic and what you've seen from a psychologist perspective, you've referred to it as a mental health crisis. And I think that's something that's not really being talked about too, too much, but I'd, I'd just love to hear your perspective on what's happening right now. And I don't shy away from using that word crisis because it is, and I want to highlight why is it a crisis? Because people are doing mentally and psychologically very poorly, and not just a few, but I would say on average about 70 to 80% of Albertans are struggling with their mental health being you know, 14 months into this pandemic. Gathering restrictions, economic shutdowns, grief and loss of things that people used to be able to access and enjoy, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder. Diagnoses are on the rise because of the the fear of getting COVID, washing your hands, being, you know, three meters or whatever it is apart from each other. So there's all kinds of things that have really seeped into people's psyche, um, which has led to an increase in mental health diagnoses in the pandemic, very specifically within the pandemic, uh, because of all of the things I've just highlighted. And so people have become adaptive in some ways to it, but not in a healthy way. They've developed maladaptive ways of responding to further restrictions and then the restrictions getting lightened. And so that has created just so much dissonance for people. That's what's showing up in my practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Oftentimes, like even if people are doing well with their mental health, maybe they've developed coping mechanisms. I could see that a lot of people may have like, quote unquote, relapsed, if that's the correct term Mm -hmm. to use. Yeah. 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 I would say the thing that has stood out for me probably more recently. So Early on when the pandemic hit, people started to struggle. So it kind of, if we put a date to it, March, Mm -hmm. um, I started to see people doing poorly about three to four months into it. Mm -hmm. And then there was a little bit of, I would say, adjustment in and around the summer and the fall the holidays were hard for a lot of people. They they always are, even when we're not in a pandemic. Right. Um, they they are. 
But now I would say in the last four months, the people that I have in my practice that I would consider to be normally doing well and are well adjusted are not. And so Mm. that's why I'm saying I see it more as a Mm. crisis because some of those folks have the tools, they have the insight, they've been doing well, they know they know when their mental health is off and mm-hmm. and they're coming back and seeing me because they're not doing well. And mm-hmm. for, for a litany of reasons, you know, whether it's something's going on in their marriage, something's going on with their kids, there's been financial strain, there's been, you know, I, I could go on and on mm-hmm. and on about the quote unquote why behind mm-hmm. it. But but for sure, like that that is the trend right now. Mm-hmm. And I know I've got several friends in private practice and they're slammed too. And mm-hmm. yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think just talking about it and bringing awareness to it, we can hopefully rally like friends and family to help support in that structure as, yeah, you've mentioned the the healthcare system in that area specifically. And I think in all areas, like, you know, I've worked in healthcare too. And so I can see, you know, the load and yeah, it's, it's creating quite a strain on the system and on the people. Definitely. As a result. So definitely. Yeah. So as you know, this podcast is all about men and mental health. So I would love to hear your insights, your perspective on that in terms of what have you seen, what trends have you seen in terms of men and their mental health over the last year and a half and having mental health be coming up more of a conversation from what I've seen anyways. Yeah. Have you seen that improving their ability to reach out and willingness to reach out or yeah, what have you seen in that way? I get asked a lot, is most of my practice predominantly females? And the answer is absolutely no. I would say right now, I'm probably at a 50-50 split and or 60% males coming Mm in, 40% Mm -hmm. females. And the thing about men is, well, there's a ton of stuff that we can dive into, but something I would want to highlight to people who are listening to this is that men are very much socialized to keep it all in check and to keep it like there's nothing going on for them. And so when they get to a point where they do access some form of professional help like myself, it's almost like a massive sigh of relief. Mm. They come in and the first session for everybody, they're always a little bit nervous to come in and see me and I'm, I'm so used to it. But by session two, three, four, and onwards, it literally, they're just, they're just hungry to talk. They're hungry to have a place to unload and unpack some of the things that are going on for them. And I would say, particularly in the pandemic, job losses and financial strain has been a major, major issue that they're coming in with that, mm-hmm. you know, they've had a salary cut and so they're making less money. They're feeling that pressure at home. They don't know what to do with some of that. Mm-hmm. So so I would say that that is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, substance abuse is for yeah. sure on the rise. There's way more people drinking at home these days because mm-hmm. they're working from home. Right. And so their access to, to substances is far more than when they have to be in the office where mm-hmm. it's a controlled environment and you mm-hmm. can't just walk into your kitchen and pour yourself a drink. And mm-hmm. so that's been stuff that that they're coming to me with and lots of anxiety. So mm-hmm. those are, I would say those are probably mm-hmm. the top three presenting issues that mm-hmm. men are coming in with these days. Yeah. As well as relationship stuff. Right. Big time. With, what Married married or common law or whatever, but relationships seem to be really, really 
awful these days. Mm. People are struggling. They're, they're around each other too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no separation. There's no separation. And then you're yeah. n- you don't have any news. There's no news to share. It's like, right. well, I know exactly what you did today because you were <laughs> 30 feet away from me or whatever. Does that make sense? Totally. So, so those would be the top four things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've heard a lot of, yeah, relational strain and relationships are hard to On begin a good with. Day. Yeah. Yes. So I can't even imagine. Yeah. Being, and as a family, like having your spouse yeah. and kids, if you're homeschooling totally. and then, yeah, if the man is like working from home and he's like used to just focusing on his work and now yeah. he has to take into account everything else around him. Yeah. He's got to juggle yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So I can see how the substance piece would come up. And like lack of boundaries when you're working yeah. from home. Right. What I'm about to tell you, I've probably said it, goodness, a hundred times in the last year, which is create your own boundaries at home. Don't blur the line. If your little office mm-hmm. is close to the washer and dryer, mm-hmm. don't get you know caught up in being able to do both of those things. Right. No, you're working. Yeah. So be working. And then if you take a lunch break, which I've suggested for many people, mm-hmm. you know, 12 to 12.30 or what, whatever they would normally do in the office, mm-hmm. then you could maybe go and change the laundry or whatever you're doing, but mm-hmm. don't blur the lines, right. you know, having really good boundaries. And so for some of these men, if their home office is, you know, if they don't have a larger space, mm-hmm. it's really easy to have those lines be very blurred, you know, where kids can come in and, and mm-hmm. dad, I need this. And, mm-hmm. oh, me too. Like mm-hmm. women as well. But like totally. that, that it's just so easy to not be as focused on their work. Right. If that, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, so yeah, no, that would be so challenging <laughs> yeah. having a, a busy household and then trying to perform at work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed these conversations come up more, even like in your own social circle? I mean, I guess like specifically around men and mental health, has it come up more? Or how has it changed? How has the conversation changed? I think that there has been some shift because, well, to be quite frank, there are some men that have come back to see me because there's been a transgression in their relationship and mm-hmm. the their partner, girlfriend, spouse, whatever has said, go and see her or else. So right. some of it's been a little bit of a, you know, push from their their partner and then once they come in that the conversation is around mitigating their stress and their anxiety that mm-hmm. i would say those are kind of predominantly the the things that are coming in men are very much socialized to keep their emotions in check and very much socialized to have one emotion that they're able and encouraged i would say to express Hmm. A lot. Mm-hmm. Can you take a stab at what that one is? Ooh, well, if I had to just guess off the cuff, I think most people would guess anger. 100%. Yeah. So it is somewhat endorsed, if you think about mm-hmm. it in this in this context for a quick sec. And hopefully there's going to be men listening to this podcast. Think of sports. Right. You think about hockey. You think mm-hmm. about football fights, hitting, body checking, all of that stuff is encouraged. Mm -hmm. I used to have season tickets to the Flames game because I'm going to shout out to them because I love (laughs) them. The crowd goes wild when there's a fight. Everyone's standing up, they're cheering. So so there's this socialization that men have that Mm. having anger is okay. And in Mm -hmm. fact, expressing it is Mm -hmm. even encouraged, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the opposite for women because... Mm -hmm. 
I don't like this word, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to maybe say it. (laughs) Um, What, when women are angry and expressive with their anger, what are they called? Ooh, yeah. It starts with the letter B. Yeah. A little bitchy. Totally. Yeah. It's unfair. Right, yeah. that that men are over here encouraged to express their anger, and in fact, it's okay to to mm-hmm. to be almost inappropriate with their anger. Right. Whereas, if if women are expressing their anger, they're bitches. And so, um, through the course of my career, I've had the the privy of being able to work. I worked three years exclusively with men in the Calgary Domestic Violence Unit. And through that journey, I learned so much about them, about men in general, and they have equally the amount of emotions that are going on for their brain and their body as women do, but they don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. They've been socialized to keep that all in check. And so when other emotions come up, like fear and jealousy and disappointment and sadness and grief and all of these other emotions that they have as well. They don't know what to do with them, but they access anger just like that. And Mm -hmm. so what I've often talked about as well in my practice is anger is always, always, always a secondary emotion. Mm -hmm. Unpack what's going on underneath it. I Mm -hmm. often tell people, you will never be more powerful with your anger when you get quiet. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. But people don't do that because anger is such a big emotion. If you think about the physiology of it for a quick sec. So when we get angry, we usually, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up. Mm -hmm. We get sweaty palms. We might, um, we feel hot or flushed. Mm -hmm. We have muscle tension usually in our upper back and neck, and it's a big, powerful emotion. And so what people do is they project it. Mm -hmm. They barf it out on other people, particularly Mm -hmm. ones that they love. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you think about the people who have really bad road rage Mm -hmm. and they just, they're, they're projecting that anger through their driving. It's inflammatory. And so often what I say to people is there, there's actually nothing wrong with anger. It's what we do with it that gets us into trouble. And so what my work with those men um, in those three years I was there was really specifically teaching them the value of getting curious and getting quiet when they're angry. Mm. Where is this coming from? What is this all about? Mm. What's got you hooked or tripped up? And figuring that piece out. And after a long time, because usually what I'd have to do to, to, if they were really dysregulated, is I would have to regulate their emotion, their physiology, get them grounded, Mm. get them breathing, get them them Mm. present with me. Mm-hmm. And then we would do the cognitive work second to that. Right. Does that make sense? Then you would dig in. Totally. Yeah. And I can't say it enough that time and time again, after we got the anger kind of dissipated, that's what they would show up with. And that's what they would communicate with me. They'd say, you know, it's in there. I was scared. I was worried. I was disappointed. I was hurt. I was feeling jealous. So all these other feelings. But again, if we come back to what they've been socialized to do, keep that shit in check. Don't talk about it. Keep a stiff upper lip. Boys don't cry. All of that stuff is so 
so incredibly dysfunctional. Right. So then you think about if, if little boys are socialized that way and then they, they, they turn into teenagers and mm -hmm. have raging hormones mm -hmm. and then they turn into young adults and they still have all of these emotions, but they have no tools in how to properly deal with them. Mm -hmm. And then they get into relationships and no wonder there's problems yeah. because they still have the same emotions that women do. And I, I shouldn't be so, so biased about, you know, men and women that's, we're bigger than that now. And we're talking about same sex relationships. But same, same, you partner up with somebody, you don't have the tools, you don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And so part of the language and the conversations I have with men is I teach them the value of understanding emotion. There's mm. nothing wrong with them. In fact, they're really, really useful. I often talk about anger is so incredibly useful because it gives you information. It's telling you that you feel disrespected or that mm -hmm. there's something wrong, there's something missing, something mm -hmm. lacking, something hurting. And so it's a good signal to, to get your attention, but what you do with it is, is the thing that matters the mm -hmm, most. Mm -hmm. And when people are inflammatory with their anger, there, there's no growth there. You mm -hmm. just repeat patterns. Yes. And, and we learn about anger through, through what, what we live, what we grew up with. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I grew up in a home where there was a lot of explosive anger, I'm going to learn that that's what you do with it growing mm -hmm. up until mm -hmm. I learn another tool or mm -hmm. until I get into trouble with my anger mm -hmm. and then I'm forced to really deal mm -hmm. with it or look at it differently. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's like your default operating system. hundred yeah. percent. I talk about that lots with men. I teach them about there's neural pathways that we develop through habitual responses. And so the neurology or the neurobiology behind human behavior, if we access one more often, we develop, I call it like a our neural rut, you know, yes. that, that, that's nothing medical. That's just my term, <laughs> but we create that rut. And sometimes that neural rut is really healthy and, and we can access it regularly and it does good things for us. And other times it's not. And we've developed this neural rut with a, an anger response that's become really dysfunctional. So part of me teaching both men and women, to be fair, is pausing when they have a strong emotion, mm -hmm. stepping back and not accessing that familiar rut. Mm -hmm. Cause that's all it is. Sometimes it's comfortable and familiar, but it's not healthy. Mm -hmm. And so it's about creating a new neural pathway, but like everything in life gets better through practice and repetition. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do it more mm -hmm. and more and more mm -hmm. and more. Sometimes the work with these men in therapy is giving them a, a few tools, send them away for a couple of weeks, use the tools, come back and tell me what's working and what's not working. Yeah. And we kind of repeat that process. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually really curious with the anger piece and when men come to see you and when the anger piece comes up, what have you observed is the biggest resistance with men to dive deeper below the anger? Fear. A mm -hmm. lot of it is fear-based. I'm thinking of three men specifically that I've worked with this in this last year. And one of them, once we got to a really, really meaningful place, and what I mean by that is I often teach people in my practice, I'm a little bit bossy. <laughs> I tell them I'm not interested in doing symptomatic work, uh -huh. which is up here surfacy. Yes. I'm interested in getting to the root cause. Uh -huh. So when we get to the root cause, that's where the real effective, good, deep healing happens mm -hmm. with this guy. Once we got there, it was cathartic for him. It was, I had a 47-year-old grown man crying in front of me and for the first time 
he felt validated. Wow. And I thought to myself, okay, awesome. I feel incredible gratitude that I can offer that. But it also made me sad Hmm. that 47 years, nobody's ever validated your hurt and pain that is underneath this big shield of his anger. So he's one of those guys that I was talking about earlier who it's like a breath of fresh air to come for therapy. He comes in and he's just like, I've got to unload all of this stuff because I don't have a safe space in my life to do it where I feel like I can. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so, so much fear around and vulnerability. They're scared to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. They've been socialized Mm -hmm. so much to keep all of that in check and be a provider and, and, and don't share emotion and, and, you know, be financially sound and do good at your job and all these things that, well, hang on a second, like underneath that, there, there's a lot of emotion there and they're just, they're, they're like you and I, they're humans, Mm -hmm. they have Mm -hmm. that stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I think in the last year, some of that has really come to the surface Mm -hmm. and they're accessing therapy, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. And then for some, they're resisting it, which is, is more of the same stuff, socialization to, to keep it all Mm -hmm. in check and not do the, not do the work. Mm -hmm. I'm really liking that there's men's group groups coming up now. This is becoming more of a topic of conversation. And I'm curious, like having said that, so it's more on the forefront. I'm curious if men have expressed to you times that they were vulnerable and maybe had a negative experience with that. Yes, for sure. There's been a few who they have shared some stuff with, with not the right person. So that's one of the things that I talk a lot about in treatment is be careful who you open up to. Make sure that they've earned a right in your corner because if they haven't earned the right in your corner, they're not going to be able to hold space for you to share hard stuff. So there's been that. But on the flip side, some really, really positive stuff has come out of a couple of the men that I've worked with. And I've we've sat down and I've given them worksheets and we've talked about how to be assertive in their communication, mm-hmm. how to effectively share hard things with their partners specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and And then they've come back and shared like, wow, that was groundbreaking Mm -hmm. that, you know, my partner responded really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm very, very specific when I talk about if you're going to share a hard thing, if we get to, to something like that in a therapeutic session and they are partnered up with somebody, I will say to them, your job, your homework is to go home, sit down, make sure that that person is ready to hear what you have to say, mm-hmm. set a timer because less is more. Sometimes mm-hmm. rambling on and on and on and on <laughs> isn't healthy and you lose, you lose what you want to share. Right. It's like get specific five sentences, you know, mm-hmm. or, or like maybe that's excessive, but I get them to, to go home and, and share some of those things with their, their people because our people our our partners are sometimes our best healers. And if they can hold good, healthy space for mm-hmm. us to share a hardship, mm-hmm. then it's almost invaluable because mm-hmm. you've you've offered up something with somebody. And then sometimes what happens as well is I'll get an email from the partner mm-hmm. saying, oh my gosh, Cinder, thank you so much. That was amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Oh. I know I've never met you before, but so-and-so shared this thing with me and I'm I'm just... I have so much gratitude. And for me, like, that's why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. When I get something like that, where a relationship has become elevated because of that, 
I'm like, okay, my work is done here for now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is incredible. I, yeah, that'd be so rewarding. I heard that a statement said hurt happens in the relationship, but also healing happens in relationship. hundred percent. hundred percent. And I think, um, but here's the thing I'm going to speak to that because when I say you need to have a person who has earned their space to mm-hmm. hear your hardship, because sharing hardship is not a right, it's a privilege. So I don't care if you've been married 10 years, 45 years, you've been together for a year, six months dating, whatever. It is not by default that you get to hear someone's hurt and pain. Mm-hmm. It is an absolute privilege to hear their hurt and pain. Mm-hmm. And so when I help people in their partnerships to get there, I often say to them, you do not get to use that as ammunition when you fight. If you do that, you are going to damage the relationship because that's what happens too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like that, you know, quote unquote, double, double-edged sword because mm-hmm. when couples fight and they go for the jugular, mm-hmm. they'll access that hurt pain right. spot and they'll go for it intentionally. And, and unfortunately we're humans and we're messy by nature and we do stuff like that. But man, is that damaging stuff? Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so it can be very healing, but it can also be very damaging if your partner uses that stuff yeah. inappropriately. Yeah. yeah. You've got to have boundaries when you oh, fight. Massive. Fight there. I know. I mean, I talk about <laughs> this a lot in my practice. It's, it sounds like a, a, a total oxymoron, healthy conflict. They'll mm-hmm. kind of look at me like, did she just say healthy and conflict in the same <laughs> sentence? <laughs> like, mm-hmm, I did. Yeah. Want to learn about it? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But that, again, coming back to anger. Uh huh. When I'm working with, if we want to stick with men, a man who hasn't had any tools or any socialization in how to healthily dismantle his anger, Mm -hmm. then that is going to be a big problem in their relationship. Mm -hmm. Because the other phrase that I like to use a lot is hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Right. And so when someone is intentionally hurting somebody else, that tells me more about them than the person that they're hurting. Mm -hmm. And so... I usually come back to that and say, help me understand that piece because what you just shared with me tells me more about you than it does about your partner. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How does, I guess, like the inability to really harness the anger and understand it from a man's point of view, how is that related to the very high suicide rate that we're seeing? Oh, good question. Men typically... This is a really, I'm going to be kind of global and generalized and I, I'm, I'm doing that for the sake of the time that we have together mm-hmm. and I hope people can take it for what it is. But generally speaking, men access some quote unquote reckless behavior with their anger. Mm-hmm. So like excessive drinking or driving fast, sometimes being very promiscuous, accessing or abusing substances specifically. So some of those things that keep them more dysregulated, Mm -hmm. similarly to their anger. And so women are much more socialized to access support. They're more likely to access support than men. The other thing about suicide for men is they access more lethal terms, more aggressive terms for suiciding, um, such as firearms. Mm -hmm. So they the rates for men suiciding is higher because the they access more lethal forms. Women 
research-based, by the way, folks, this is not just coming out of, you know, my own practice. Um, women attempt suicide almost equally as men, but with less aggressive forms. They will try to overdose. They will also consume alcohol and take either prescribed narcotics or things like non-prescriptive medications. And so that's a big reason. But I, I would come back to say, how are anger and suicide related? Dysregulation and not knowing what to do with that. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Mm-hmm. And, and not having the access to supports the same that women do. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. We're getting there, mm-hmm. but man, we have a long way to go. Like the Bell Let's Talk movement yeah. has really shone a bigger light on mental health and and has allowed more men, I think, come to come to the table, but we still have a ways to go. And my hope is is for this pandemic to do even more of that. Mm. Something that I would want to share with listeners is I've had the privy to know of a few insurance providers, I won't name specific ones, but they have increased their psychological service access for their employees in the pandemic, which is amazing, amazing. So some companies are doing a fantastic job at responding to the pandemic and their employees. Mm -hmm. And so I want to give a big shout out to some of those companies are, are just doing a really good job. I have a a client who she has shared with me some of the things that her company has done in the pandemic. And every Friday, every single Friday, they've broken off their, their groups. There's about 10 in whichever sector of the organization that they're in. And they do a Zoom call of mental health Uh check-in. And then they play like heads up or like a game together for an hour and a half on a Friday, every single Friday. And that's how they wrap up their weekend. And I'm like, that that. is what needs to be more prevalent right now. How awesome is that? That's amazing. And and one of the things that she shared with me that, again, I wish I could share the company and all of that, but I'm going to, I'm keeping it confidential. But one of the things she also said was, was that the president, the CEO of the company said two of the reasons they wanted to do it. One was to, so everybody's checking in on everybody, make sure everyone's doing okay. But a close second is to end the day, end the week and go home and be with their friends and family in a positive light. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? So it's like they're creating this energy of connection, this positivity. So totally. that, that can be transferred to their weekend. Yes. Which is going to probably snowball in a positive way. Exactly. That's amazing. Isn't it? Wow. I know. I was like, kudos. That is, I just wish there was more of that going on. I hope there is. I, I really hope so too, because I know like the workplace. And especially in Western society, I think we place so much value on work, on productivity. Mm-hmm. It's a slippery slope where it can supersede the value of our own human lives, our own humanity, totally. which is, yeah. I've got a quick little side story. Okay. Those of you who know me, you'll be giggling while I'm telling uh, Ruth on this story, but I have a significant man crush on Jeff Weiner. He is the CEO of LinkedIn. Oh, mm-hmm. and and I'm going to tell you why because he's anybody who's listening to this YouTube him look at some of his his interviews he's just he's such a great human I I, I have so much respect for him but LinkedIn accessed an external surveyor but mm-hmm. came into the company and interviewed pretty much every single one of the employees that work for LinkedIn mm-hmm. the feedback the research that came back from it was so incredible, which is why there's an interview out there. 
And the feedback was that almost 99% of the employees who work at LinkedIn like him. Wow. Right? 99. Like it is a mat, like it's up there. It's in the 90s. I will tell you that. I don't think it was quite 100, but it was really close, which uh-huh. who can say that? That every single person there likes their boss? Yeah. Wow. It led me down this kind of fun little rabbit hole once I, I, I got that information. I started watching. I started getting a little bit obsessive of, over how come? Like, how, how is that? And he's so cool in his interviews because he talks about he prides himself on being a really good leader. He doesn't actually like the term being a manager. He's been asked that a few times in his interviews and he kind of stops the interviewer and he'll say, I'm just going to stop you right there because I don't actually manage people. I lead people. Mm-hmm. And of course the question is, well, what do you mean by that? Yes. And he goes, because managing is bossing people around. Do this, don't do that. Don't blah, 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 blah. He's like, I don't want to manage. I want to lead and leaders inspire. I'm like, oh, how good is that? So he's like, he talks about he wants to be the type of boss or role model and lead from that and lead through Mm -hmm. example and lead through inspiration. Mm -hmm. And the other thing he talks about is he wants to know how everybody collectively is doing on his team. And he wants to know and make sure that they're they're fitting the, the role well within the company. And if they're not, and they're feeling overburdened or overwhelmed or stressed, he said it's his job to, he calls it, take the pitcher out of the game. Mm -hmm. So he uses a lot of sports analogies and says, Mm -hmm. you know, if the pitcher's out on the mound and they're at like the ninth inning and he's rubbing his shoulder and he's feeling, he's looking fatigued. He said, it's kind of like an employee. Employee is never going to come to me and say, hey, guess what, Jeff? I'm not doing really well in my role. He said in the, you know, 15 or 20 years he's been operating, not once has he had an employee come and say, put their hand up and say, I'm not doing well. Right. And so he says the same thing. He's like, if, if he's a coach of a baseball team, that player is not going to come to the coach and say, Hey, pull me out of the game. I'm not doing well. They're going to, they're going to soldier on or they keep doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And so he talks about how it's his job to pull that person aside and say, Hey, I've listened, I've been watching you a little bit and you don't seem happy and we need to figure that out. We either need to transition you into a different role or maybe we need to transition you out of the company into something else. Mm-hmm. But get this, the other caveat that he talks about and the why behind it, he says, because I don't want people going home like that. Mm. Yeah. Wow. He's like, I don't want families and communities of people who are unhappy at their workplace, taking that home, impacting their families, yes. their kids. I was like, I, I still have goosebumps when I watch that episode. Like, how cool is that? So he talks about work-life balance is mm-hmm. so much a part of LinkedIn because mm-hmm. he talks about it. He wants to make it global. Yes. He says that we are all connected as humans. And so he doesn't just want his employees to be happy at work. He wants them to be happy at home. Mm-hmm. And if they're not happy at bo- both places, it's his job to figure out what needs to be done about yeah. it. So no wonder he's so well-liked. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> he sounds like, yeah, like very much a visionary leader. Oh, It's totally. not even about LinkedIn. It's about creating yes, healthy communities. Totally. And he talks about leading leadership from compassion. And he always mm-hmm. tries to be a compassionate boss. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. just game-changing because it's not yeah. just about work. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I love it because he's a man. He's a man in a powerful position, role modeling the value of that 
to thousands. Mm -hmm. So there's my little shout out. I love that. (laughs) I heard again, like another kind of like quote statement. We don't need a motto to say we need a model to see. And just like in parenting, right? Like we always, that's why association is so powerful. If you surround yourself with good people who are modeling who are embodying the values that you want to see it tra- it's like osmosis it's you can't yes. help but become more like them totally yeah and you know what i'm so glad that you said that because you haven't even seen this well, i haven't even <laughs> told you about this and you're just saying it but there's this clip that he talks about in one of the videos where someone asks you know like what are some tips for success and he says surround yourself with really really awesome happy powerful successful people mm-hmm. and you'll be just fine because mm-hmm. he's exactly that he's like it's it's transformative you can't help but feed off somebody's somebody else's energy. And he's like, I'm all about learning. He's I can't remember how old he is, but he 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 did say it in one of them. And he's like, I pride myself on always wanting to learn and grow and stretch. I don't mm. want to be the smartest one in the room. I want someone else to be so that I can work towards that. Exactly. Right? I know. So cool. I feel like our ego always gets in the way of that. But always. Um, but totally, if you have that mindset, it's like it's gonna you're going to be just fine. Like he said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So I digress, awesome. but I hope, yeah, I hope no. that our listeners still can see the value of that, that like, you know, he, he is a man and he mm-hmm. is a father and he is a husband mm-hmm. and he is the CEO of LinkedIn. And he is, he brings light to the table to talk about the mm-hmm. value of communication and emotions mm-hmm. and that kind of thing mm-hmm. in his own way. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. This is not on the show sheet or the question sheet, but um, <laughs> I Love. I'm sure you've heard of him, Dr. Gabor Mate. Oh, yes. What? Because he talks about, I mean, he talks about it on more of like a... um, Addictions. Yeah, addictions and then connection. Mm -hmm. So the connection piece, but also thinking about, again, another kind of quote, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. And we kind of touched on that. And so what needs to happen with men, I guess, to share their stories? Because I feel like when you isolate, then it's again like yeah, slippery slope. If nobody knows, if yes. nobody knows, if they can't share, yeah, how can they heal? Exactly, exactly. There's so I love this question slash comment because there is so much out there about shame and guilt that I want to talk about, but also about years ago, Oprah Winfrey did a very eye-opening show. This is early on when she was a little bit more junior. And it was about men who had been sexually abused or molested. And the numbers were astonishing. Her whole audience was just, it was all men. That was something that, that she shed a little bit of light on in talking about, they don't have a space to tell this story. And so she was making, she was offering up a platform to, for them to share that story. And and I, it, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it, but it was so powerful. And so here's, here's the quick and dirty about shame and guilt that I want people to take away from this. And oftentimes what I see in my practice, but also in my personal life too, people overlap the two. They, they kind of think they're one and the same and they are not one mm-hmm. and the same. Mm-hmm. So guilt is about doing something or not doing something. So guilt is about behavior. Guilt says something like this. If I ran a red light, I should feel guilty because I'm not supposed to run a red light. If I say hurtful words to my partner, I should feel guilty because I shouldn't be doing that. That's not, that's not how to operate. Mm-hmm. So guilt is about behavior, about doing something or not doing something. Mm-hmm. Shame, which in my opinion is far worse and far more 
pathological in nature is about being. So if we, if I, if I can be very blunt, guilt says I made a mistake and shame says I am a mistake. Mm -hmm. The other thing, guilt is often about ourself and what we do. And shame is usually put on us. So we get shame um, messages, I would say from a litany of things, people, places, our families, our upbringing, our church, our community, our coaches, our teachers, our friends, our peers at school, our siblings. And so shame is often a message that gets given to us. And Mm -hmm. it usually follows one of these I am statements. I am stupid. I am not enough. I am worthless. I will never amount to anything. I am too fat. I am too thin. I am too... Do you get what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so shame shows up all of the time in my practice and mm-hmm. and very more specifically i would say there are men with anger that shows up here so i know you guys can't see me but if you put your hand way up over <laughs> your head that's surface anger up mm-hmm. there and you get to the middle and there is usually another emotion that's going on for them like i said earlier insert hurt fear worry jealousy disappointment something like that but then go a little lower from there and oftentimes that's that's where shame lives mm-hmm. and so Again, when I use what I said earlier, I don't want to just deal with symptoms, Mm -hmm. although I will. I'll come all the way back up at the top and help them deal with their anger and how to regulate themselves when they're there. But I want to get down, down, down below to what usually is some form of an I am statement message that they've been given their entire life that they don't know what to do with. Does that make sense? Identity. Identity is so big. And some of them have lived an entire lifetime with that identity and they repeat it in their cognitive wheelhouse over and over and over, particularly when they're not doing well. Mm -hmm. So insert suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. really, really easy breeding ground right there. Mm -hmm. Because when I'm not enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I don't matter enough, why am I here? I'm stupid. Everybody thinks I'm stupid. Everybody around me is validating that for me. That's, again, if I go back to my cognitive rut they will go back to that rut and make it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And although that I understand it, I often say, we got to get you out of that rut, but we also have to deal with the shame that's living at the bottom of of all of this. Mm -hmm. And so the shame work is exactly what you said. It's saying shit out loud. Tell me your story. I'm right here. I'm going to listen. And it's funny because again, I've said this before in other podcasts, but research time and time again in my field, in the world of psychology says there is a relief and reprieve that comes from saying it out loud, period. And sometimes the hour that I have someone sitting in front of me, by the end of it, by the wrap up, they'll say, I feel so much lighter. Yes, I so feel gratitude that I got to tell this thing out loud to somebody else. And it makes them feel as though they're not carrying that around with them. And sometimes I'm very literal in therapy. And I'll say, you know what we're going to do before we wrap up and book your follow-up, we're going to take five minutes and I want you to sit there and imagine, close your eyes if you want, or if you don't, because you think it's weird or whatever, don't. But I want you to close your eyes if you can and think about the big, huge, giant, garbage, awful thing you just shared with me. And we're going to put it in a box. And I want you to imagine yourself putting it in the box right now. You're going to close the box and you're going to lock it up. And we're just going to leave that over here in the corner of my room mm-hmm. so that you can go out and do your world and your life and be a dad and be a, be mm-hmm. a, a husband and, and be a brother and a son and all of the things. 
without that heaviness. We'll come mm-hmm. back to it. It doesn't mean that, you know, it's a one and done, but it's mm-hmm. just a visual way for them to mm-hmm. literally unpack it, but mm-hmm. have it, it's going to live over here for a little while. So mm-hmm. you can still go and do your life without that hurt and pain and shame living mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say, I don't know if this is too simplistic, would you say the root of anger is shame? I'd say a massive part of it is shame. Yeah. 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 It's so insidious as well. Shame mm-hmm. is just, we don't language it enough. I mean, I do, but mm-hmm. like in general, I, th- I think people don't understand it. But once once they do, once I, I, I give some of that to them, they can understand it better. Another thing, like again, for our listeners, I'm going to give a visual for you to, to, to take away from this. I would draw on a piece of paper, kind of like a square shape, on a just blank piece of paper. And I would get the person across from me to tell me, give me some of your shame messages. What have mm-hmm. you been given for your entire life mm-hmm. that sits with you? Mm-hmm. And so I'd write them down, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I am not worthy. I am not as smart as my sibling. I am not smart enough. I am super insecure and fat, okay? And then what I would do is I would I would get them to think about what are some behaviors that you engage in? And especially, and I try if they can go back to being, you know, whether they were a kid or in their teens, particularly, Mm -hmm. what were some things that you did behaviorally to knock down that noise? So it wasn't so loud in your brain, what Mm. things behaviorally, whether you were doing it consciously or not, but we all have, our brain has a trauma response and we want to shut stuff down. Right. And so I would write these behaviors around the square and it would be things like stealing, name calling, dropping out of school, hurting my siblings, abusing others, bullying. You get where I'm going with this. Yeah. But one that I want to highlight to listeners again is perfectionism. Ooh. Yes. Tell me about that. It gets missed because if you think of the first ones I described, they're very easy to identify. Mm -hmm. You can see when a kid's misbehaving or acting out. Mm -hmm. You can identify that behavior because, you know, stick with the right and wrong Mm -hmm. kind of response. Mm -hmm. But some kids who have still those messages of shame, they will engage in perfectionistic behavior. And let me tell you folks, perfectionism is absolutely highly correlated with with shame 1000%. So yes, there's type Ayers of the world and I could speak to that on another podcast. <laughs> but but perfectionism lines up so closely with shame because they're trying to do by do perfect, act perfect, look perfect, perform perfect, then no one's going to hear what's going on underneath. Yeah. Underneath. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah. They don't get seen in school because they're they're performing good little girl, good little boy, they, they get good grades, mm-hmm. they perform well in sports, they're doing everything perfectly, mm-hmm. but underneath is all of that shame. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those ones are particularly hard to work with in therapy, not for me, but mm-hmm. they're, they're hard for themselves to work with in therapy because they want to do therapy perfectly. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want people to have that visual. The question I'm sure people are thinking about out there is, well, what do you do with shame? How do you deal with that? Right. You clean it up. If you're driving, here's another way to think about shame. And you are you just had a car wash, your car is super clean, but there's this big giant puddle, deep, muddy, yucky puddle, and you can't avoid it. And you run through it and all of that dirty, mucky, gross water is now all over your windshield and all over your car. That's shame. 
Shame is the mud and the yuck. You didn't pick it. You didn't access it yourself. It was there and it got thrown on you. Mm. Same, same. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Same thing when it's given to yeah. you by teachers, peers, coaches, friends, families, communities, blah, 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 blah. And so the work is, how do I clean it up? How do I clean it off? But also, it lines up really closely with self-esteem. Yeah. Because shame is a breeding ground for people who have insecurities and who have really, really low self-worth. Yeah. It lives there. So some of my work is a bit of both. It'll yeah. be about, you know, literal things, but sometimes it's about really diving into some of that stuff and talking about how can we increase your self-worth and your self-esteem and, and get them doing, engaging in things that help them increase that before we can do some of the other stuff. Right. Yeah. I love that visual that just, I think that just like, yeah, really clarifies it for people to identify like what is shame? Cause it's something separate. Yes. From you. Yes. It's separate and it can be removed. I love to externalize it. Yeah. Right. So, so again, when we, when I do that drawing or that piece of paper with, the, with people and we talk about, okay, well, what new behavior can I engage in right. that isn't covering it up? Because mm-hmm. covering up your shame with that behavior is covering it up. It's mm-hmm. not cleaning it up. Those are two different things. So I get them to tell me what are other things that you can do in your life behaviorally that erases or cleans up that message. Mm-hmm. And some of it is really, I know people are going to say this sounds so simplistic, but sometimes it's just, it's eating well, it's it's sleeping well, it's taking good care of yourself, it's washing, getting dressed and doing your hair every day. It's surrounding yourself with healthy people. You know, Mm -hmm. like all of those things are really, really important if somebody is dealing with their shame and their mental health. Mm -hmm. It sounds so simple, but Mm -hmm. for some people it's not. I don't know if you've, you've seen it yet, but they're the new Apple series that came out with Oprah and and Harry, uh, Prince Harry. You know what? I have not seen it. The, the me you can't see. Mm -hmm. Lady Gaga is in there and, oh. and she, she talks about her trauma and she talks about, you know, when, when I'm feeling not great, I really make a point to move my body, to eat healthy foods, to meditate, to, you know, listen to music, to play the piano. So mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, I know that it sounds so cliche to just mm-hmm. like eat well and work out and blah, 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 blah. No, no, it's a habit and you have to do it more often. And if your self-worth is really low and you don't feel like you're deserving of that, that's a good starting space. Just yeah. start right there. Totally. I love that because not only are those things affecting you physiologically, but it's like from just like a mindset perspective, you're casting votes. So you're like, yes. I'm doing this because I believe I'm worth it. Yep. And so just by following through, even though it's it might be a little bit like of a struggle in the beginning, but your the actions are mapping to your belief system. Would you say that's accurate? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Because if I matter enough to eat well and move my body, then I'm going to matter enough to to deal with some of that unworthiness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I would say, you know, kind of in and around that piece is also how you let people treat you. It's yeah. a big part of it. Huge. Right? Wow. Yeah. Boundaries, right? Boundaries. Oh, my God. I, again, that could <laughs> be a whole other, other podcast. Totally. <laughs> and I love talking about boundaries. Yes. Oh, my goodness. The healthiest relationships are boundaried up. Oh, yeah. Perry Brown says that. She oh, says... Yes. Most her. compassionate people are the most boundary people. Yes, definitely. Which is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. People have a hard time saying no. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because it's okay to disappoint people sometimes. Yeah. That does, doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Totally. It means that you're looking after you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I often say, this is on a little bit of a tangent, but I think as parents and as moms, I'll speak to moms 
in particular, because I am one, mm-hmm. um, that the, the messaging about, you know, my kids come first, I'll do anything for them is complete bullshit. <laughs> because when I am doing me, I'm taking care of me, I'm sleeping well, I'm eating well, I'm exercising, I'm accessing my supports, and I'm engaging in things that I enjoy and my hobbies and all of that. I am mm-hmm. a far better mother. Mm-hmm. I'm a better partner. I'm a better sister. I'm a better okay. daughter. I'm a better psychologist. Like I really, really want that message to get cleaned up mm-hmm. that no, 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 no. When I'm all the way up at the top of that totem pole, every yeah. single person in my life benefits from it mm-hmm. because when I'm halfway, same, same. Yeah. They benefit from me being 50% of me. Yeah. And I don't like that person. Yeah. I mean, she comes around every now and then cause I'm human, <laughs> totally. but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so like, that's a big piece about, Mm -hmm. you know, just men and women with mental health Mm -hmm. is, is making sure that you're doing you, Mm -hmm. that you're taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Those, those little things are the big things. Mm -hmm. People think this is big, bigger stuff. No, it's simple stuff. Mm -hmm. It's the little things that become habits in your life and the habits create the outcomes that you want, the good ones and the not so good ones. Yeah. Our habits create our lives. Yeah. hundred percent. So good. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to circle back to shame mm-hmm. and like suicide and men's mental health. And so how can we as like friends, family members of our, you know, brothers, spouses, what have you, how can we help support the men in our life to create safe places? And like, how can we yeah, be that person to break the chain of shame and isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Break the cycle. hundred percent. The first thing that comes to my mind is mm-hmm. not being afraid to identify if you see someone exactly what you just described, someone that you know and love, whether it's a brother, your father, your partner, husband, friend, and checking in with them for sure. I want people to be less scared to do that. Yeah. Because you know, it's, it's not that bad. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, yeah, of course I can say it because I'm a psychologist. I've been doing this for 14 years, but just saying, how are you doing? Things okay in your world right now? Not like the Sobeys co-op cashier, right? How are you doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like why are you even saying that you don't actually mean it? <laughs> totally. and you're not going to listen to my response anyway. Yeah. Sometimes I kind of giggle because I, I want to say to like the, what I get asked at the grocery store, I'm like, well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's this and it's this and I'm feeling like this. They don't want to hear that. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. But, um, but you know, like that, that sincerity and honesty mm. of just, you know, I'm recognizing that we're 14 months into this pandemic and just wanted to really see how, how are you doing these days? Life okay for you? Right. How's your family? How are the kids? How, you know, like some of that stuff, it's just like a check-in and if people retract, they retract. But mm-hmm. if, if not, then you've opened up this tiny little window to hold space for that person because you're genuine about, about your approach. You've planted a seed almost like, oh, maybe this person is a safe totally, person. Totally, totally. Just as you were saying that, I talk about that with some of the men that I'm seeing in my practice right now is I've invited them to circle back with people in their life Mm -hmm. as well and check Mm -hmm. in with them and say, or share some of it and say, you know, like I've been having a hard time and this is what I'm doing. I just want to see like, how are you doing? That kind of stuff. So that's been cool. But Mm -hmm. to to come back to your question, talking about it, Mm -hmm. sometimes it is also about maybe not necessarily 
saying like, oh, I think you have something that's going on, but saying, have you ever considered going for, for counseling before? Or have you ever, mm -hmm. you know, tried to access a professional regarding X, Y, and Z or whatever that is, but languaging it. I think to the thing about men and mental health for people who have an untrained eye, it can be really tricky because mm -hmm. they get very insular mm -hmm. and they just don't talk about stuff. For me, that's a big red flag mm -hmm. when they're not talking about certain things and or if it's the opposite side of things and they're really inflammatory, that mm -hmm. usually catches my attention too. It's like, whoa, mm -hmm. what's, what's going on? Why did you just totally lose your shit inappropriately over something mm -hmm. so small? Mm -hmm. Is there something bigger going on here? Mm -hmm. When men have a safe person to talk about things, I hope whoever that person is will consider it to be an honor yeah, and a privilege. And the other thing I want to, on that note, again, why they get insular and quiet, I can go on for many reasons why, but the recent firefighter who uh, suicided. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. 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 You know, it shocked quite a few people in the department and that's what I mean. Exactly. That is exactly it. It's like, have the conversations, mm -hmm. you know, and don't think that you can go to a car accident or a fire or see someone in pain and hurting and then come back to the fire hall, shower, clean up and have supper and then go home. Don't think for one second that that's okay. A mm -hmm. conversation to debrief, to check in. How are you doing? Were any of you triggered by what just happened, what we saw, what we were exposed to needs to be on the table. Yeah. That needs to be a part of the protocol mm -hmm. for totally for first responders, oh hands down. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. No, I've heard of that. That's come up quite a few times. And I, and I guess I'm not super familiar with, has that even changed? Has that changed? Are they having conversations? Because yes. I cannot even imagine being a first responder and seeing like horrific things. Yeah. Like the most horrific things. And then just being expected to deal with it. I can't like, that doesn't make any sense. Totally. Yeah, totally. They are having mm -hmm. conversations. My partner is a fireman and mm -hmm. he, I highlight that a lot. And he brings that to the, the fire department. Mm -hmm. We check in with each other too, you know, like he'll, express to me if, if they've had a hard call or it's been a, a rough shift. I want to know that. I yeah. want to know what do you need? Do you need to come home and download? Yeah. Do you need to nap? Do you need, like, what do you need so that I, you yeah. can go do that? Mm -hmm. Because what I don't want is for you to just quote unquote soldier up, yeah. warrior on. I hate that language, but mm -hmm. I'm using it because people will know what I'm talking about mm -hmm. and just carry on your day. No, mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Trauma lives right there and will be a breeding ground for malignant tumors in our brain, in our body, in our, in our wow. psyche. Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so I often say to people, don't think that a trauma that you've been exposed to is benign mm. and that you can just see it, feel it, hear it, watch mm -hmm. it, whatever, and blink, sleep on it, and go on with your day. Yeah. Actually, that kind of brings up another question. Something that I hear semi-frequently is that there's those people who are caring for 
elderly parents or like children who need extra help or something like that. And there's like a million different things going on in their lives. And they're like, I don't feel stressed. They say, I don't feel stressed or it's stressful, but I don't feel it. Right. What would you say to that? How is it's his bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you did okay. tell the, okay. the listeners that as a straight shooter, yeah. a straight shooter. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. No, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a second because that stuff is so hard. It's mm-hmm. so heavy. You have to find a way to compartmentalize some of it in a healthy way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll speak to this with, with everybody and I don't mind doing it because I have a father who is in a long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. And when I go visit him, I have to be, I'm very, very, I've got a routine. I've got a ritual because it isn't just, oh, I just get to go in there and see my dad for an hour visit and everything's all good. Yeah. No, 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 no. He's 74. I'm way too young to have a father in a long-term care facility. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's heavy. It's emotional. So I go there and I have the visit and I take the long way home. Mm -hmm. I get a coffee. I usually decompress. I Mm -hmm. listen to music. I do all the things because because it's it's emotional. It's hard. That trauma could live there too. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I work really, really hard at so that I'm not just thinking, oh, I'm just going to go see him and and, and then I'm just going to drive home and then be a mom and Mm -hmm, do all the things. mm -hmm. No, I'm impacted too. And Mm -hmm. I got to be careful with that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes people do hard things, but they don't recognize that they're hard things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense with what you're describing? Like if you've got, you know, a a child who has high needs or something like that and you're you can get adaptive to it, right. which, okay, yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't lessen the emotionality that's attached to it because mm-hmm. it's still really hard, especially mm-hmm. if you have other kids who who don't have those mm-hmm. needs mm-hmm. and you're really mm-hmm. juggling and you're balancing all of the time. And so mm-hmm. that is going to leave an imprint. Yeah. And I think like what I've seen too is it shows up in a physical way, phys- like infections, yeah. Just different things pop up. And it's interesting, like when that stressor leaves, I've had this experience with somebody, all of a sudden, it's almost like a switch went off and all of a sudden they're lighter, they're happier, their physical ailments kind of leave for the most part. And it's like, wow, totally. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite books, I will first premise it with saying it's a heavy book. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's intense. And I, <laughs> I talk about when I, when I read it, mm-hmm. it was like a turkey dinner. Mm. So what I mean by that is like, you don't have a turkey dinner every day, mm-hmm. right? Like the Thanksgiving and the Christmas dinner, you mm-hmm. like, y- you have to eat that, that meal, go put your sweatpants on, <laughs> maybe a salad the next day. Yeah. I don't know, but you can't have them back to back. Right. So this book is like yeah. that. You can't read it all in one chunk. You have to do like pieces, piecemeal it. Um, but anyways, so the body keeps score. Ooh, it's so amazing. And he is a well-known neuroscientist and he studies PTSD and trauma exclusively. Mm -hmm. And so the way that he talks about traumas and he lists, he, he talks, he even defines the word trauma. It's not just, you know, growing up in an alcoholic family or growing up in uh, domestic violence around you, abuse mm-hmm. all the time or whatever. He talks about there's so many more things to mm-hmm. the word trauma that we all get exposed to mm-hmm. and that it shows up everywhere in the body through ailments or mm-hmm. through other kind of physical diagnoses and then psychiatric diagnoses if people aren't taking care of it. And he has 
awesome research. You can see it in the book, like brain scans, fMRIs, MRIs, PET scans, CTs, you name it. He hooks people up to see their physiology of people who have have had horrible trauma and haven't done anything with it versus folks who have had horrible trauma and have done healing and growth and therapy, et cetera, from it. And it is so, you can't ignore the research. It is phenomenal. So yes. I've had that book on my book list for so long. And I think now's the time that I must go pick it up. Yeah. So it's, he's just got so much good, Mm -hmm. valid research-based data to support Mm -hmm. What happens when we see hard things? Mm-hmm. He starts out with the war veterans yes, and how they come back. They've been at war. They've seen their peers die in front of them. They have done hard things. They have killed other people. Yeah. And then they're asked to come back home to just like this Stepford style life yeah. and be a dad and go play baseball with their kid and go, you know what, like Mm -hmm. do the things. And Mm -hmm. literally some of these, I'm speaking specifically because he talks about men. Mm -hmm. These men are so incredibly dysregulated. They don't know how to function back in that environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's powerful. And Mm -hmm. it just speaks to that you can't just disconnect. Like if Mm -hmm. you leave something like that, that trauma Mm -hmm. and expect to come home and quote unquote function normally, Mm -hmm. there's no, you can't. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah. So he starts out there, but then he, he, he takes it to bigger picture stuff Mm -hmm. that lots of other people will read it and be able to relate to. But, but I'm serious when I say, you know, don't, this is a night, nighttime reading. This isn't like, you know, I'm going to read this book before bed. This is like (laughs) (laughs) being a a safe, comfy chair and being in, in a present moment where you can read it. But if you feel triggered or or yourself by reading it, put it down Mm -hmm. and and do some self care and Mm -hmm. do some other stuff. Like it's, it's, it's intense. Note to self. Yeah. (laughs) Prepare, prepare. Yeah, Yeah. Prepare myself. Yeah. That is so awesome. Thank you for that recommendation. And then I'll definitely link in the interview from the LinkedIn CEO. Yes. I think will be really great for listeners. Do you have any parting words, final thoughts that maybe we didn't touch on today that you think would be really valuable to leave the listeners off Mm, with? Yeah. I know that we're all getting excited slash hopeful Mm -hmm. with these restrictions possibly being lifted and, and gone away by July, which I'm hopeful too, but let's just be careful not mm-hmm. to move the goalpost that too far away. Anyways, um, but the thing that I would want to say where we are right here, right now, at the end of May, beginning of June in this pandemic, is that a lot of people for a while, whether whether or not they've been noticing it or conscious of it, have been grieving a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. I think People misunderstand, just like I said earlier about guilt and shame, people misunderstand grieving to be bereavement and they're two different things, right? Mm. Bereavement is when we lose someone that we love, they've passed away. We are in bereavement. But grief, we grieve all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And in this pandemic, we've been grieving so many of the things that we would access to mitigate our emotions, our emotions, our stress, our mental health. We have lost those things. Mm -hmm. We haven't been able to travel. We haven't been able to go to sporting events or concerts Mm -hmm. or see our friends or have our families over, big family gatherings. So all of the things that we would normally utilize to mitigate mental health stuff or stress Mm -hmm. We haven't had that. So we've been grieving some of those things for a really long Mm -hmm. time. And I just want to leave that with people to be mindful of, you know, what are the things that you've been grieving and Mm -hmm. what are you excited about that is returning? Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I also would want to say, yes, we've talked about anger today and shame, but accessing help if you're feeling other emotions as well that are big and heavy right now and and identifying, you know, when is it a problem? That's a question I get asked all the time. Right. It's a problem when it starts interrupting your functionality. Mm-hmm. And functionality is sleep, appetite, supports, engaging in your the regular things that usually make you happy if your relationships are being impacted by your emotions and the things that are going on, whether that's in your your intimate relationship, your friendships, your family members. But those are all really good indicators that mm-hmm. maybe I need to get some help. So mm-hmm. that would that would be a really big takeaway. Yeah. Just yeah, have more self-awareness. I think that's a really great point that you brought up about grief because um I know it's been mentioned like maybe a few times in the media and here and there, but I don't think people realize like that we're all going through this together and it affects everyone in a different way and we're all grieving something. Yes, for sure. There's no question that everybody is on some level. Everybody has had to find ways to adapt to really, really uncertain times, never ending uncertain times. And so I really hope that this has been helpful for people. I hope, I mean, I absolutely love talking about mental health because it's everywhere. Everybody knows somebody who has dealt with something in regards to psychological transgressions. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Cinder, for taking the time to share your thoughts and perspective and stories. Yeah. If listeners wanted to get in touch with you, how can they go about doing that? Absolutely. So probably the, the best way to get in touch with me is through email. Mm-hmm. Um, they can find my website at smithpsychology.ca. I'm so happy to, to have been invited to chat with you and I want to do more of this. Yes. And listeners, if there is a hot topic that you would like for the two of us to talk about more of, please, what, what would they drop a message with yeah, you? Actually, well, you could go to therootpodcast.com and there's an, there's a, an area to connect there. So awesome. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Yay. Cinder. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for listening to The Root Podcast. If you're interested in learning more or would like to share your story, go to our website, therootpodcast.com to get in touch.